anything that is impossible for God. What do you think? Ain't nothing impossible. We're going to see in a minute that Jesus said something about with God all things are possible, right? But I might have a surprise for you at the end on that. But we got the spring feast that was the Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. We said that was Jesus in his first time here, and he fulfilled each one of those. He was the Passover lamb. He was the bread of life, the sinless unleavened bread. He was our first fruits of the resurrection. And Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, kicked off the church age, and now we got the summer. And the summer means it's time to sow the seed, it's time to water, it's time to plant, it's time to be busy with the great commission of Jesus Christ whenever he left and he went up he said I'm leaving you all here to go into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature so that they will believe and be baptized and be saved those who refuse this gift of God that he's given us for that condemnation of sin he said that won't be good for you it won't be very nice so you're going you want to be a Christian and you want to follow into those things because then when the trumpets come and that trumpet sounds and the fall feasts kick off, things are going to start happening. You got, you've got the rapture, you've got the atonement, which is the separation, it was the judgment, and then you've got the tabernacles, which means that those who are in Christ get to tabernacle with him. That means we dwell with him forever in heaven. And I think everybody wants that that's here. So that's what we've been talking about. So today, I said... What I want to do and what I felt the Spirit was leading me to do was just to glorify God with some things. I mean, just to give Him some praise and honor and glory and to search out His Word for how it can help you and I. One time, Jesus told the Pharisees in John 5, verse 39 and 40, He said, you know what? You guys study the Scriptures diligently every day because you think that in them you might have eternal life. And yes, it is, because every one of those scriptures point to me and point to me, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. They speak of me and they lead you, but for some reason you won't come to me that you might have life, he said. And so I think we all ought to come to him. And in the Bible, there's many things that was written there for us everything was written for our learning every page pointed to him but in the in the book of proverbs there is some smart sayings there is some wisdom and i like the way the book starts it says in the opening statement of the book of proverbs that to know wisdom and instruction to perceive these words of understanding a wise man will hear them and will increase in his learning but their fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And you know what? I've already looked over everyone, and I don't see a fool here today. I don't see anyone here that wants to despise wisdom and instruction from the Lord. So all I see is people who are wanting to gain and increase that learning. So we want to go the way of the wise. And so we're going to walk that path today and edify the body of Christ. And I was reminded of how God can be glorified this week because I watched, uh, I usually don't watch too many movies, but everything I watch, I try to have centered around the Word of God in some way. And um, uh, I, I was gifted um, a couple of movies, and I've been watching those, and one of them was The Red Sea Miracle. And 
both parts of it I watched, and you know what frustrated me? All the people who seemed to be smart, all, all the philosophers, all of the PhDs, uh, the Egyptologists, all of the people, every time they started talking about where that Red Sea crossing was, it, it has to be up here on this little lake that's about four foot deep because there is no way that the sea and the depths can part. A, a, a natural phenomenon like wind cannot make that happen. You see, that's the fools despise wisdom and knowledge because they think that they have to have a rational explanation of natural things. But we, our God is supernatural. He created the natural, but he is supernatural. He is not of this world, and the he placed the natural order. But every once in a while, he likes to show off and to show you that I'm not only natural, I'm supernatural. I can do some big things. And that's what I want you to grasp today is that we serve a God who is supernatural and goes beyond all of those things. Oh, it has to be here. No, it don't. You go find me the deepest part of that ocean, and I'll bet you that's where you're going to find those chariot wheels at. So uh, in creation, God made everything. His supernatural power exceeds everything. He has been writing this book for four or 5,000 years, and he preceded that. And and every bit from the beginning to the end written by all these different authors never makes a misstep. They have never proven one word to not be true. Why? It's supernatural. It doesn't come from this world. So they always want to prove what God did, but God says, I'll tell you how I prove who I am. I validate it by foretelling what's going to happen because no one can do that. And by the supernatural miracles I do. So let's get into a couple of them. See how they glorify God. Because miracles have many purposes. Some of the miracles that are done is just to help. It, it's to be able to help with things. Sometimes it's to get you out of jams. Sometimes it's to glorify him. And to prove who and what he is. There's a lot of purposes in there. To Rahab the harlot. Whenever they heard of the Red Sea miracle and what was going on out there in the wilderness and how God was supernaturally taking care of them, it led her to repentance, to belief in the God of the Hebrews. And so whenever those two spies came over there and went into Jericho, she said, I'll take you in. I'll hide you. But would you save me and my house whenever you come? Because I know you're coming. You see, sometimes God does those miracles over there so that people will believe in him. But the rest of them, it turned their hearts into fear. She said, everybody's heart is in fear because they saw what you did. So there's two reactions to those miracles. The reaction is supposed to be for salvation. The fools despise that route with it. In Exodus 14, 17, I want you to know what God says about why I'm parting the Red Sea. And here's why the Red Sea parting had to be in the deep part instead of in the shallow part. He says, the Egyptians are going to follow you into that sea, but I will gain glory over Pharaoh and over all the host and over all of Egypt, and they will know that I am the Lord when I have gotten honor and glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. 
You see, there's a purpose behind it. He got honor and glory over them, over their false gods, over their false system. And it didn't happen by a natural means that could be explained away by a weather phenomenon. It was the breath of God that blew all night across there and parted that. And I'm going to share a couple of scriptures here in a moment with you. But another purpose for miracles and the things that was written is for us to fully believe in those things, to trust in it, and allow them to give us faith, hope, love, and confidence in the God that we serve. And how he's going to take care of us and bring us out of some situations. So whenever I was thinking about that, the Lord kind of directed me to Psalm 77. You can turn there with me if you'd like to. In Psalm 77, there's, this is a psalm about a man that's about like what we're going through in this time period right now. It starts out by saying in Psalm 77 that this writer is in anguish. He cries out to God with his voice. You know what that means? I was, I was thinking about that. Not only, you know how whenever we're in anguish and you got things going on, you're thinking it in your mind and you're praying inside of you. But you know what? Sometimes it gets to the point where it can't just stay inside of you and you've got to pour it out. And it says, I was in anguish and I cried out with my voice. I had to let it out. And then he repeats it. I cried out unto my God with my voice. That means all the hurt, all the fear, all the anxiety that he had going on. And it was so pressing that it can no longer just stay in my head. But I got to get it out. And I've got to shout it. I got to vocally submit it out. I'm exasperated. I'm overwhelmed. And then he says, I cried to the Lord with my voice, even unto God. And he gave ear to me. Now, there's a promise. I want you to take out. Whenever you get into that situation, I am so glad that the Holy Spirit says the Lord heard me because I don't want to think that I'm going through all of that and he doesn't hear. So rest assured, it says I'm going through this and I cried out and he gave me his ear. He turned that ear toward me and said, I'm listening. Go ahead with it. And then he says this. Be comforted in the knowledge that if you're seeking God's face, I'm listening to your plea. And then he says this, in the day of my trouble, in the day of my distress, you know, I see some pretty wisdom from the Holy Spirit in that because he didn't get specific. He didn't say in the day that this happened or the day that that happened. He said in the day of my distress. And you know why he said that? So that anything I'm going through, I can put right there. My day of trouble, no matter what it is, because my troubles might change every day. But in a day of trouble, I can insert that right here and say, I'm crying out to God, and He is going to listen. I sought the Lord. I remember that song, Where could I go but to the Lord? I sought the Lord. And then He says this, and I want you to picture this guy. He says, I sought the Lord, I had to cry out, I couldn't keep it within me in my hand. I stretched it out towards God all night long without ceasing. I had to, I was reaching, I was groping, I was hoping, I was pulling, God, where are you? I'm shouting to you, I need to be comforted. 
He says, I complained. My spirit got overwhelmed. And I ask you, you ever had nights like that? You ever had nights where you're just overwhelmed and you can't sleep? The next verse, I think, says something about you held my eyes open all night long. There are times when all night long I want to sleep. Why? Because sleep gives me some kind of rest and a peace from the thing that's going on in my life, this day of trouble that's happening. And I would like to even go to sleep. But no, my eyes are held wide open and I can't even get no relief in that. And about the time that you feel like you've hit rock bottom with a thud and it's like, what happened? Then it says this. He says, I considered the days of old. What's he getting ready to say? I started going into the word of God in my mind and started to think about how great God is and all the things that he's done in the past. I started thinking about the days of old and I started thinking about the ancient times and I tried to call to remembrance some songs, you know, Moses and Miriam, whenever they crossed over that Red Sea, they broke out whenever the Pharaoh's chariots went under, they broke out in songs unto the Lord. They had been distressed a moment ago and screaming, and why have you brought us out here just to be taken over and die by their hands? And the next moment when God delivers, they're singing a song of praise. And he says, I think back to those ancient times and the songs in the night, and I begin to meditate within my heart, and my spirit now begins to make a diligent search of the things that I can start pulling from the word of God. To give me peace and comfort. And you know, I always, I always try to tell you. It's in times like this when we're sitting here. It's in times when you're not in the middle of the day of distress. That you intake the word. And you intake the promises. And that's when you can, when you can really listen and hear and understand. Because when you're in the day of trouble. And the swarm is happening around you. You can't just go and pick it up and say, okay, calm me down. It just, it's hard to do it that way. You got to do it now so that you prepare for that charge of the elephant when it comes. And he says, I've prepared in the past. I'm going to start remembering some of the things that I read from the word of God that can help me in my day of distress and in this trouble. And he says, I begin a diligent search and I begin to think. And you know what the first thing he said in verse 7 was when he began to think about God? Is God going to cast me off forever? I ask you, has God ever cast off any of his children forever? Would you? No. You know why? Because you love them. Now you might have to teach them something sometimes. And they might think it's a long time that you've cast them off and that you're being kind of a little hard on them. But God says, I got to do that so that you will listen and learn. I can't get your attention no other way. But now he says, but I've saw in that word of God that God has never completely just forsaken and abandoned his children. So the first thing that I can think of when I'm in my day of trouble and I've hit that rock bottom is I got a light at the end of the tunnel. I see a light at the end of the tunnel because God has never just completely forsaken and, and shoved anyone aside and cast off forever. It's not in the character of God and his integrity to do something like that. And he says, will he 
ever say that I will no longer ever be favorable towards you again? No. Verse 8, his mercy, did it just cease forever? No. God describes himself as one who loves us and is full of mercy and compassion. So he says, I can realize that God will not cast me off forever and not show me that. He will not shut me out in anger forever. And then there's that little word, Selah, if, if your Bible puts it in there. It's in the Hebrew and it's in the King James Version. And I told you the other day, you remember what Selah means? It's a pause, it's a rest in the musical instrument. And you know what that's to symbolize? It's time to rest in God. It's time now. I've, I've felt this pain. The suffering has been going. I've been screaming out loud. Now all of a sudden I'm beginning to remember about God. And now it's time to place that with him. What did he say? Cast all your cares and burdens upon me because I care for you. I'm going to take those things and work it all out to your good. So now he's starting to cast those burdens on there. Selah means we're pausing. It's the musical interlude. It's a solo that goes on when there's no singing and shouting, but just the solo. And that means I'm resting in God. He's, he's taking over and I'm just listening to what he's getting ready to tell me. And then it says in verse 10, you know what? Though I am in anguish, I'm going to remember the past years. And I'm going to remember the mighty right hand of God and the power that resides there. I'm going to remember his works. I'm going to remember the things he does. There's our starting point of having a rock and an anchor for our soul in those times. Is I'm going to remember the Lord and I'm going to remember his deeds, the mighty the supernatural things that he has done to show that I can take care of not only the natural, but the supernatural things that needs to happen in your life. Yes, I will meditate upon all of your works and I will begin to speak aloud your deeds. Now do you see the difference? Instead of speaking aloud the, the pain and the frustration, now... He's beginning to rest in God. So now I'm speaking the word of God. You know how much more calmer you start to become when we don't give in to our flesh and that nature to to just go. ah, And you start going, man, what did the Lord tell me? And you start going over those things and then you start repeating those and speaking them. Do you know, life and death is in the tongue. And you can, you can speak those things and the word of God is still alive and powerful and it's going to be, be uh, going out and helping. He says, I'm going to speak aloud your deeds. I'm going to stop worrying about what shape I'm in. I'm going to start speaking aloud your deeds and what you've done, your miracles, your wonders of the old. I will think on these things. Now look at verse 13. Your ways. Oh, what we just talked about for a couple of weeks. The way back to God and how Jesus is the way. And he says, your ways ain't where everybody else looks. Your ways are in the depths. Your ways are not seen by everyone else. Oh, God, your way is in your sanctuary. Well, we got to get back to the house of God. We got to get back in here in the house of God. That's that's how I'm going to get my life back to where I'm not awake all night. I got to come back. I got to meditate on his works and I'm going to get in God's way into the house of the Lord. And then look at this verse. Is there anyone who is so great a God as you are? No. He begins to now realize the power that he has behind him, the character of God, the mercy of God. 
his deeds that he's done during the times of distress of his people goes to show that that pattern is going to continue on to us in our times of need as well. Who is so great a God as our God that is alive and around? Who does wonders? See, God likes to declare who he is through his wonders. And he wants us to latch on to that so that we can trust in him. And then we have again, Selah. It's time to rest. He's got the wonders. Rest in God. And then this purpose who was so distressed and overwhelmed. Now he begins remembering all of these things. And things start to calm down. He remembers the great miracles. One of the greatest. I looked up what is the greatest miracle. And they tried to say this one. The Red Sea crossing. That, that as you look and you'll Google. What was the greatest miracles in the Bible. They tried to rank the top ten and they come up, uh, this gentleman did with uh, the Red Sea crossing as number one. So that's what Psalm 77 begins to write about to this one who needs a rock and an anchor of his soul. And he says this, I began to look at the wonders that you did. And, and you know at the Red Sea, those waters trembled and they were afraid of you. I don't know. Gary's probably been out there fishing and gotten in a big storm one time and those waves was kind of tough and it gives you a little bit of an adrenaline rush. I was out on Toledo Bend one time in a 14-foot John boat with a 9-9 motor that's not going to get you against much of anything out in the middle of that flat lake. And all of a sudden, one of those big storms just, here it came. That was before GPS and phone alerts. And here me and... One of my mentors, who was a preacher at the time, Randall, we were in the boat, and I was the only one, I was running it, and he, he couldn't swim, he knew nothing, he was just there fishing to have fellowship. And we're out there, and these waves started rocking, and they're higher than this 14-foot little John boat. And he's like, oh, Darrell, I'm just a praying, you drive, I'm praying. And so I'm driving, I'm, and if you've ever been on Toledo Bend, isn't it, Gary, nothing but stick-ups. I mean, it's, they just flooded the land, and there's stick-ups everywhere, trees that's fell over, but all you, you can barely see the top, but sometimes it's over them, and you can't see them. But whenever that water's going down, and those things are sticking up, you see them all. And you know what happens if a wave would lift you up and drop you on a stick-up? It would just... So he's a-praying, and I'm a-driving, and I'm praying too. I ain't telling him that I'm not concentrating totally. But I'm a-praying too. And we make it in, and you know what he said? He said, check the boat to see if my fingerprints are still on the sides. <laughs> I'll never forget that. But you know, in the day of my distress, I began to remember the one who can calm the sea. The one that can find the pathway through the sea, right? And so, that's what this psalm is trying to teach us. Think about the wonders of God. Think about who and what he is and what his character is and how that he is able to do for you exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever even ask or think or dream of or your mind can comprehend because I'm supernatural and I'm out there. And it says, instead of me being afraid of the waters, the waters should have been afraid of me because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And he says, whenever... The, they came to the Red Sea and they were afraid. It says, you made the sea afraid of you. 
the waters began to turn and the ground underneath began to tremble. And what I like is I looked up those words. And this is why I know it has to be in the depths and it wasn't in that little four foot thing because the word for depths means the deepest part. And it says this, it says that the, when it says that they were troubled and turned and the different words that are right there, I looked them up. And that word means to whirl around like you're dancing either in fear or in celebration. But it, the word said that the waters feared you. So guess what happened? It was like a tornado, like a cyclone, and it was whirling. And, and the force of the tornado of the breath of God created a vacuum that stacked the walls of water on each side, and the earth trembled, and it dried. And they walked across on dry ground. So whenever I'm in trouble and I get to thinking, think about the one of his wonders that can do something like that so that the distress of the people is taken care of and they cross over. Think on it. Begin talking these things aloud to yourself and to your enemies. He says, I will take care of you. And then he says, the Lord's lightning was like arrows. Bam! Quivers going out everywhere. And you lit up the sky. It was like 4th of July, and you just parted those with that. And then he says, then, like the little sheep and lambs that we are, you had Moses and Aaron lead your flock across, and you took care of them. Jesus said, I am the shepherd, and you are my sheep. And if he did that for those stiff-necked people, what do you think he's going to do for us if we even have half an inclination to follow him? We are the sheep of his pasture. And he's going to lead us by the hand just like he, had, he led with Moses and Aaron across out the way. And then I want to tell you what Exodus uh, 14, 24 says about this whole situation. It says, in the morning watch. I like that because you know what that means? Daylight's coming. You might be in the dark night and some things are happening. You ain't slept all night, but I want you to know one thing he's saying here. The daylight's coming. Morning is on the way and the Lord's light is going to shine. And he says, in the morning watch that the Lord God looked down through the pillar of fire and the pillar of the cloud upon the thing that was troubling them. Whatever you got going on, know this. The Lord knows it and he's looking down through that pillar of protection that he has around you. And he is looking through that at what is troubling you. And you know what he told Moses to tell the people? The Pharaoh, the thing, the army, the chariots, the things that are troubling you. After tonight, you will see them no more. Now, I don't know when that day is going to come that my trouble I'm going to see no more. But I rest assured in one thing. That as sure as that was a promise through Moses from God to them, it's the same promise to me that one day, all my troubles, you will see them no more. God says the daylight's coming. And he looked down and he told him, come on in. He, he raised the protection that was blocking the route. The chariots went in. And then God said, Moses, I want you to do something. I want you to stretch your hand out. And I want those waters to close back over that. And I want you to look at the power of that right there. We need some Moseses. <sighs> Bring it 
gone. And there it came. The waters parted. And then he says, put it back over again. And it, you see your troubles no more. Can you trust in a God like that? Yeah. You know why? Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by what? The word of God. And so if you've taken that in and you take that in. In the day of my distress. I begin to think upon and speak aloud. The things and the wonders of the word of God. My soul he says will remember that. The psalmist said in the day of my trouble. When my hand was stretched out. I remembered that. And then you know what he, you know what he basically was saying. Look at what my dad can do. How many of you when you're a little kid. And, and you're getting into it, and another little kid says, well, my daddy's bigger than your daddy, and you just wait, right? Well, we got the biggest daddy of all. We've got the biggest father of all who's going to take care of his children. And I wanna, so we, we speak those things that he can do for us. We, we see what he's done for his other kids, basically. That whole thing through the Old Testament and New Testament is his other kids, just like us. And what he did for them, he says, I promise I'm going to do for you. So I'm just going to share some of these things with you. You know what? We got a dad that can just speak and things that were not in existence, that were never there, can appear just like that. He can speak and the galaxy can appear. Zillions and billions of miles that they can't even imagine and see as yet with all of their telescopes. I spoke it. And in one instant, it was there. That's the God and the power that we serve. He can speak a word. And in the days of Noah, it says that the floodgates of the earth opened and the windows of the heavens opened. And for 40 days and 40 nights, waters came. And it says it covered over the top of the tallest mountain upon the face of the entire earth. Now, our biggest mountain is 29,900 and some feet. So that means over 30 thousand feet of water went across the entire planet yeah my dad did that how about if someone's talking about you maybe that's maybe that's your distress maybe you got someone that's talking about you people putting you down people lying about you you know what god can do god says i'm the one that made the tongue remember when moses said i don't talk very good he said i made the tongue i can tell you what to say but he says i can also tie that tongue up what happened at the tower of babel I can confuse them, and they won't even know what each other's saying. I can take their tongues and seal it. Zechariah, when he's in there, and the angel said, you're going to have a son that's going to be the forerunner to Jesus Christ, and you're going to name him John. And he said, how am I going to know that what you're telling me is true? He goes, I'm going to make you to where you can't talk until it happens. How about that? I'm going to shut your mouth right now. You'll learn not to, not to, not to doubt me. And he shut his tongue. And it was all the way up until the time when they took John. His wife had never had a child and neither had he. And they're old in age and past the time. And he, they, they had it. So now he had to believe in what the angel said. And he ain't being able to talk. So now they go to that circumcision and they say, what, what are you going to name it? And, it? and she said, we're going to call him John. And they all said, no, you don't have no one in your family named John. You can't name him that. And they said, we're going to ask the dad. And he said, what are you going to call your boy? He said, give me a piece of paper because I can't talk. <laughs> Angel thing, you know. So he, they brought him a piece of paper. And he wrote, John. And they're like, John, why are you calling a John? Angel of God released his voice. And he said, 
Because they told me to name him that. And they said I wouldn't be able to talk until now. And praise God I'm talking. You got somebody talking about you? Pray. Pray. Pray prayers from the Bible and scriptural things. Pray on them and say, Lord, so-and-so is talking about me. They're spreading lies and rumors. Would you do like with Zechariah and shut those lips up? Would you just close him up so that he can't talk? And all the people that he's telling the things about me to, make them like at Babel to where they don't understand and can't get a word of what he's saying edgewise. How about that? You know you serve a dad that is just like that. How about blind? He, he can rescue you from a situation. Lot was in a pretty tough situation, wasn't he, there in Sodom? The angel said, we're getting ready to destroy this place. And the, the angels came into his house and all the people gathered around. They wanted those angels. And Lot went out the door and tried to back them off. And they said, no, and guess what? We're going to do worse to you before we get to them. And about that time, it says the Lord blinded every one of them with a blindness so thick that they couldn't move. And they were groping around to just see where they were at. And the angel grabbed Lot and pulled him back in and said, we got to get out of here. You got to get your family and go. And they left the blindness. We got, we got a God, our dad, who can blind the eyes of those that is trying to harm you. And they won't be able to see you. You'll be camouflaged. He can blind the eyes. He can give words to a donkey. That's why I figured I could speak. Because if he gave a donkey the words, he could give them to me too. He took, he took a wooden rod when Moses was out there and said, I can't talk. When Moses said, I'm not good at that. He said, I'm one that made your tongue. And he said, take that little rod you got right there, your shepherd rod, toss it on the ground. And when he did, remember what happened? Yeah, one of those like Egyptian cobra type things. And it was, and it, he was afraid of snakes. I, I'll admit I am too. Only good one's a dead one. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Miss Kim. I'm sorry. But. Uh, and then he said, you know, what he, you know what God had the audacity to tell Moses to do? Go pick him up. <laughs> Go grab him. Pick him up. He's like, what? He said, yeah, pick him up. Grab his tail. Okay, since the bush ain't, ain't burning up, and since you did that, I guess I better do what you told me to do. So he reaches down, and the moment he touches it, it's back into a rod. And he said, see, that's, that's your dad. So I'm going to be with you wherever you go out there. So don't have no fear when you go into Egypt. Go ahead and walk in there. And he can turn water to blood. He can have the, the daylight to become dark. He makes a difference between his children and the children of the world that are persecuting you. Do you remember in those plagues? Like the darkness hit Egypt, but Goshen, where Israel was, it was daylight. It was only the thick darkness over the other people. Because God said, I make a preference between my kids and the kids that are going up against them. You, need, you know what? He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's your fire by night and your pillar of smoke by day. And he never leaves you. And we didn't even get to the New Testament, did we? I mean, look at the things that our dad can do that gives us the confidence to go to him, right? I mean, who can murmur against you? He's, he caused the earth to open up and swallow up the people that was murmuring against Moses. Careful praying that one, okay? Uh, he sent fiery serpents one time. He sent the fiery serpents, and you know what they did? They were all biting them. And they all got sick, and some of them were starting to go. And, and so God said to Moses, he said, 
make a brazen serpent and put it up on a pole and, every, and set it up there. And anyone who trusts in me and looks up there on that pole, they're going to be healed. You can go through the entire Old Testament and never know what that meant. But you get to John chapter 3 and Nicodemus comes by night, starts talking to Jesus and Jesus starts telling him, you got to be born again. And he said, I'm the son of man. And I'm going to tell you, this world is full of sin and it's lost. And I don't want it to stay that way. So just as Moses raised up the serpent, which is the symbol of evil and wickedness, just as he raised up that serpent in the wilderness and those who looked towards it were healed, so must the Son of Man be lifted up upon the cross that those who look towards me will be healed of sin and I will forgive them of their sin. Oh, praise God. We serve a God that does that for us. How about Jericho? He said a stupid thing. Go walk around six times. One time a day for six days, okay? Just walk around. These walls, I'm going to give you a lesson here pretty soon. On I'm going to start through Joshua. And I'm going to give you a lesson on this, but how huge this was. I mean, there was two different walls. That's why it's the walls of Jericho. And there was the first one, you make a, like those that do construction and have to, to make some uh, uh, retaining walls. You make the first retaining wall and put a wall. And then they, they had a bigger retaining wall and the wall around the city. And it was, it, the word of God said it reached up to the sky. And you know what the Lord told him? He said, get you all out there and I want you to march around and not say a word. I want you just to be quiet and just one time a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to walk around seven times and blow the trumpets and all of that reaching to the sky fortification that was six foot wide is going to fall. Can you trust me? Will you trust me in your predicament that you're in? Will you give it to me? I serve a God that says you just do what I tell you and the walls are going to come crumbling down. Then he says, uh, Joshua 10, you know what? I think this might be one of the greatest miracles and we don't even think about it. When Joshua was in a battle and he needed more time, he began to pray that the Lord would give him more time so that the enemy don't flee and re recoup and come back at him. And you know what the Lord said? Pray that, that, that I will stop the earth so that the sun doesn't go down. And so he prayed that the, that the sun would not set and move and that the moon would stay right there over the valley of Abijan like it is. And God answered that prayer and stopped it and they continued fighting the battle and they won the battle because the Lord lengthened the day by stopping the earth. And I got to thinking about that. And I was like, what would that entail? So I started using old Google. And I was like, how much energy, how much force would it take to stop the earth from orbit and spinning around? You know, we're flying in that yearly orbit at 43,000 miles an hour. And the earth is also spinning around on its axis at 1,000 miles an hour. So have you ever had something spinning and then just stop it? Stuff's going to fly everywhere. I mean, elephants are going to go across the room. The oceans are just going to spill right out and leave a big divot hole. Uh, 
But not only that, the force, the force that it would take. So there was this paper by a guy who is an astro-scientific physicist with all of these letters after his name. And he started trying to take those mathematical calculations with the Earth's mass and velocity and spin and what kind of force would it take to stop the Earth from spinning. And he said, the closest that I can give you so that you can understand what I came up with on that equation is this. You take, and this was 2016, four years ago. He said, if every nuclear weapon that there is in this world, if you could let them all off at one time, you take that times two trillion, and you would start to get close to the force it would take to stop the earth from spinning and moving and to allow the sun to set there. Can you imagine that? Every nuclear weapon in existence, the force of all of those at once, times two trillion, and you're getting in the ballpark. And my dad, when Joshua prayed, said, okay, son, I'm going to help you out. And he just reached there with two little fingers probably and went, okay, take care of business. The, the waves, the oceans, nothing went out of kilter when he did that. And he not only did that, he multitasked by keeping everything else intact and he stopped the moon too. He said, you know, I got two hands. I'll stop the moon too. That's, that's our dad. That's the dad that we serve. That's the kind of power. So whenever I am down and my heart is reaching out and I'm in distress, when I finally hit a rock bottom and take a minute, he says, I want you, the psalmist said, I want you to take a moment when you hit that point. And I want you to begin to think about the ancient times. All the things that I've asked you to read, you know, I put those in there for a reason. So that your faith comes by hearing these things. So that when you're in a situation, you can resonate with one of those and latch on to it. And it gives you faith, hope. Isn't that the most wonderful world? You know what? The Bible says that without Jesus, we had no hope. Now we have hope. I think one of the most wonderful, the thing that causes so much trauma is when you, there is no hope. When you think you're in a situation where I have no hope, you let down. He says, I've put all these things in here that you might have faith, hope, and love, and know my love that it is for you. And like I said, we didn't even get to the New Testament. I mean, we've got the Gideons. Um, we've got all the different things. We get to Jesus, and you get there. We could go about the great and awesome God that we have that redeemed us. What about Elijah? Look at that. He was in a situation, and he called down fire from above. This is the God that we serve. Take a moment to say, okay, I'm reaching out to you now. And I'm going to start remembering. I'm going to pray these powerful things for me in my life. And as uh, you get to Jesus, how he fed the people, how he healed, he cast out the demons, everything that he did. Whatever your situation is, if you're a day of distress, you can find a Bible scripture in here that you can relate to and say, I'm praying that over my situation. God can destroy an entire army overnight. They surrounded Israel and 185,000 men when they woke up the next morning were just laying there. 
God said, I did that for you. Now go out and get their supplies because we're going to move on. We didn't even get to any of those things. But you know, Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm getting ready to give you your little surprise at the end. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus said that all things are possible with God, didn't he? He said, with men, these things are impossible. But with God, all things are, are possible. The best one, resurrection unto eternal life. Did you know Jesus had to, had to have faith in that? That had never happened before. We'd been resuscitated, but never a resurrection. He was the first fruit. And he trusted in God. He said, not my will, but thine be done. And I'll go ahead to the garden and then I'll go to the cross and I'm going to trust that in three days you're going to raise me up by your power. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John, the beloved disciple, says this for you and I. He said, truly, Jesus did many other signs and many other miracles and many other wonders in the presence of his disciples, many of them. But these things are written in this book. These things are witnesses and written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that the greatest one? Amen. We've got a hope. And as our worship team comes on back up, and may we always remember that you are a child of God. Remember who you are. And remember the integrity and the character of our Father as we go through this life and the situations that we run into. I've, I've told a few folks, so now I just want to say to everyone, you know what, if you're a child of God, if, if God's your father, if he's your dad, it's only in this life that he can comfort you through some of the things that we go through. Because he said, when I get you up there, I'm going to make all things new and there's not going to be any pain, any suffering, any tears. So sometimes the only way that I can show you my compassion and love and those things is to allow you to go through them for a little bit. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel and I've got you. Don't worry. Just keep trusting in me that it's going to be okay. Because right now I need to show you that I can love you through these things too that happen. These things are written that you might have life. But now I want to tell you another little thing. We said that with God all things are possible. Uh-uh. And I'm not going to say it's a contradiction to the word of God. And it's not a contradiction to what Jesus said. Because the Holy Spirit says, no, this is a verification of the God that we serve. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 6 and in verse 18. That there are some things that are immutable. That it is impossible for God to lie. And that word immutable is unchangeable. There is something that's unchangeable. It is we thought with God everything was possible. It's impossible for God to lie. It is virtually impossible for him to lie. But you know what that means? He says that means that everything that I just told you in this book that I did for my kids is true. Because I can't lie. And so you can rest assured. Look at what that verse says. When we flee to him for refuge in our time of need. He says... By believing in me and knowing that I cannot lie and you look at the ancient times, you can now go with confidence that you have a steadfast anchor for your soul in these times because if I did it then, I can do it now and I will do it for you. And so I want you to have confidence and rest assured. Why? Because 
As I am God and I can swear by no higher power, I am that I am says it is impossible for me to lie. So I am glad that there's at least one thing that's impossible with God. How about you? Amen. So, Father, as we humbly bow now and we we turn our hearts over to you this day, if there's any here, Father, who have who have never had the opportunity of saying that you are their father, that for some reason that they have remained kind of a little bit skeptical, a little bit, well, one day I will. When the time is right, I remember when Paul was standing there one time preaching Jesus, and he was preaching to one of the rulers, and he says, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Whenever there's a more convenient time, maybe I will listen. And we never read that there was a more convenient time for that man. So, Father, I pray that that your word today is alive and powerful and that it is cut right to the heart. And if there are those here today who have never named you, never knew you as father, never trusted in Jesus and his death, burial and resurrection, that they would do that today and come forward and say, I'm making that pledge today. And I want to be baptized into Christ as our Lord gave us in that great commission. And that by doing that, I am representing that death, burial, and resurrection and faith and confession that I believe that he was the Son of God and that I will follow in his footsteps with you for eternity. And Father, for those of us who are here this day and we come here each and every week to worship you and to praise you and to thank you, but we also draw our strength from you and your word. So I pray, Father, this day that your word has strengthened each and every heart. That we can take these things and this prescription that the Holy Spirit has given. That when I am in this pain, when this is my symptoms, that, Father, the prescription is, is to think on the ancient things. And to think of your ways and who you are and your character and your power and your integrity and your love. And that through that we have faith. We have hope. And we have an anchor for our soul whenever we seek you in that refuge. And we praise you. And thank you for putting that in the word of God for us. In Jesus name. Amen.